Hey there, Very Sherry here, and this is Pink Noise. We're opening to a new tune in honor of my guest, Carrie Ockrey. This track, Catch My Back, is from her 2002 album, Invitation. And it was handpicked for today's show as an anthem for anyone out there who is struggling to remember that you deserve better. Catch my back, I'm gonna meet you on the ground. Figure me there and show me what you got. Turn yourself around, crisscross and stick. Get yourself away, I'm sick of your shit. Cause all I know is all I know is I deserve better for you. There's no counting on you, baby, that's for sure. So all I know is all I know is I deserve better. There's no counting on you, baby, that's for sure. Better than you and your back and forth heart. Better than a man with no spine. Howdy, howdy, you. Howdy, howdy. Let's talk about that opening track. Because I could feel the rhythm of the song resonating in my body. Like a rise up song. You know, like, don't take no shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes, it is. <laughs> realize that, that you deserve better than mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't have your back. Yep. And let me tell you, I've been there. <laughs> I think a lot of us have, truthfully, um, on both sides. Yeah, that song, and you really hit it on the head, like a rise up song. The rhythm in particular is one that I like. It's the very one that the, uh, you know, you can hear it in other songs. Specifically for me, it's like uh, ELO, Don't Bring Me Down. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that, like, I, that particular rhythm really... I like a lot, but as, so the song is obviously acapella. I had a whole group of people there with me doing stomps as well. So it's basically a stomp, stomp, bup, 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 you know? So when we were all in a circle and that's what I wanted, I wanted like a um, spiritual kind of like, not a tribal kind of call out to, uh, to express myself, right? Like just, just a call on something. Um, and I love all those elements. I love like acapella. I love circles. I love, um, almost like a tribal, you know, um, rhythmic and also body movement as well. Like to stomp is to put your foot down, right? Quite literally. Quite literally. Yeah. Is to put your foot down and it's, um, almost warrior like as well. And that's what I liked about it. And yeah, the lyrics were definitely me um, needing to express like, I deserve better treatment. Um, but, it, but it was also powerful just to like 
call something out as a woman, like just to be out loud about it and not be silent. So, um, and be mad, you know, just to be angry. Um, and all those things I think are good for you. Uh, and I just feel lucky enough that I get to put it into the art form of music uh, and voice out saying out loud, literally with music, um, something I needed to say. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, and what's really impacting me hearing you say that is this idea of being angry and being witnessed in your anger. Yeah. That's a great word. Witness. Yeah. Needing to be witnessed. I think people need that a lot, like just to bear witness, you know, not even necessarily agreeing, but just to see you like, okay, I see you. I hear you is super important for everyone your whole life. Yeah. Using music and songwriting as your conduit mm-hmm. for, for communicating, for sharing your gifts mm-hmm. and expressing yourself in this way. Yeah. And physicality. Cause when you're doing a song like that, there's, there's a, there's a reason why you're moving like that. There's a reason to stomp, right. That what I like about both being able to do music and live performance as well is it's almost like theater, right? Like the movement and the sound and everything culminates in an ex- one expression. It's all of it is really um, exciting to me. Was there something happening in your life? That oh, probably like one of many breakups, <laughs> but it was kind of the, you know, music was the place I would say express myself, my hurt or um, through relate about relationships or breakups or things like that. That was the place I would go. The goodness, the band I was in used to say, whenever I had a breakup, they're like, Oh great. We got a whole new record that <laughs> Carrie's going to write a whole new record. <laughs> like, thanks a lot guys. <laughs> Not sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I bet they weren't wrong. They were not wrong. <laughs> Yeah. And I write cyclically like that. I don't necessarily wait for a breakup, but um, I write emotionally. And so there might be swaths of time where I'm not writing. I'm, I'm also someone who likes to be doing like three things at one time. Um, And so for now, music's always hanging around out here, but for right now, I'm interested in conversations like with you and coaching and things like that. And so tell me more about that practice. What led you from sharing your, your, your anger, your pain, your heartbreak, your joys, your goodness. <laughs> Thank you. Through, yeah, <laughs> through, through music. And now you're, you're channeling your, your life lessons, your knowledge, your earned, you know, wisdom, and you're being there to support other people. There's a couple things that comes out of one is the part of music. One of the parts of doing music is the communing with people, which is something in very particular. I is part of my joy. Um, that's something I like to do. I like to commune. I like to say, I like to say something and be like, well, what about you? How do you feel this way? How are you? Um, so that I'm not alone in something, but I also just think communing is a good thing. The other thing is, you know, I did music for a really long time and, you know, I'd say five years ago or so by nature in life, right. You hit midlife. I was like, well, what, what else is there that feels natural to me and purposeful and purpose, a second purpose, even I really wanted, like, I was really feeling a need for that. And I was like, what might that be? And my nature has always been to root for the underdog, you know, what, what, how can I help you? Um, what, what of mine can I give you in order to help you? And I want to share through coaching, you know, my whole life, I've always been, um, I like change. I, I by nature am want adventure and travel, and I'm not usually afraid. And I want to pass that on to anyone right? Like, because I think a lot of times people, you know, feel afraid or um, hurt and all those things. And so I, by nature, click into like, how can I help you? Let me use my natural abilities 
or who I am in order to help you. And that exchange is one of my favorites. It feels, and, and definitely I'm using any experience I've ever had, and I've had a lot, um, to either let people know they're not alone, to let them know that when they tell me their story, somebody, the person bearing witness um, has seen a lot, you know what I mean? And won't be judging and cares and uh, you're not alone, like could probably relate in a lot of ways. And I think that's powerfully important to provide for people. And I want to feel purposeful, deeply purposeful. When did you first realize that you were willing to take leaps of faith and explore new paths? Really young. I grew up until I was eight with a single mom. And so I think it stems from having been on my own from a very early age, not, not neglected, but just our routine was such that I was on my own, right? We go to daycare and I walk to school alone and come back and I, that that's okay with me by nature. But as I went on since, you know, my growth has been sort of like, well, I figure things out on my own. I daydream on my own. This is like kind of a natural state. So when I got into junior high, let's say that really kicks in when people's, it really started to come out when I would be questioning conforming, right? I'm one, I'm a watcher. I'm a huge watcher. So in elementary school, I'm the kid who's watching people. I'm curious, who are you? Where do you come from? Not that I'm saying that out loud, but I'm definitely a watcher. And then in junior high, there's just a natural moment where people, there's a split, right? I'm either going to be someone who stays in one pack and stays that way. And I just found myself going, no, I I need to know way more. What about this group? Who are you? And I was very open to just curious. I'm a really curious person. Um, And so my nature was to have a much broader vision about people like, oh, what's this group all about? You know, I didn't really go, oh, you're, you're not the popular group. So I don't hang out with you. It was more like, are you interesting? You know, where do you come from? And there's, please, there's plenty of interesting people all over the place if you give them a chance, right? Um, And I just kind of stayed that way through high school. And then, I mean, I knew in high school, I was like, soon as I can, I'm out of (laughs) here. You know, I grew up in a small town. And um, I just, I I never, I was used to that, I guess. So I was like, oh, something you want to do, go figure it out, you go get it. Oh, you feel pulled to that. And I think that comes from having spent a lot of time in my own world. So those were the, those were the rules I was living by. Um, and I just, by nature, wasn't someone who was going to conform because someone told me to, that's just, I'm not born that way. I'm not made that way. What I'm fascinated by is the fact that you could look at these different groups of people and not make judgments or assumptions and classify them in some way that limited your interest in them. Yeah. So it's how did you breed that curiosity? Where did that open-mindedness come from? You know, well, funny enough, it would be, I what I would find interesting was what were they interested in? How did they talk? What, and frankly, what music were you into? And there's a lot of interesting people that people don't talk to in school, right? You'll find out someone's like a prolific writer or you, they're amazing to talk to, like questioning conversations. And my brain can't get enough of that. So I, I, and I also love getting surprised, like, wow, I had no idea you were into this. And it, it, it expands your world. And I wanted that, you know, like if my world was just going to be um, small school, popular crowd and football or whatever, oh my, I would die on a vine. You know what I mean? I wanted to sort of, you know, like pull up the rock and see what's underneath. Like, what do you do? And, um, and in, in a small town, I could expand my world through people. You know, if I, if I poked around and said, Hey, who are you? What do you do? I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot you don't know about people. And so I would meet kids who are like, Oh, they're amazing artists, but they don't show it. Right. Or, 
having fascinating conversations or questioning things or, oh, they're into like Bauhaus or Susie and the Band, you know what I mean? And it would just be like, ooh, here's a whole nother world. I mean, there's worlds within people. You make me want to go back in time. <laughs> do it over. Yeah. No, you, yeah. Couldn't, you couldn't pay me to do high school. I know, right? I know. But it does sound fascinating through your eyes. And it reminds me how much time I spent worried about how I look and what people think of me and mm. what, Im- what impression am I making? And now I, like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was the kid who ultimately ended up hanging out with like all the back cavers and new waivers and um, who were also um, gay and, you know, discovering their sexuality and things like that in a small town again, because, and I felt like they were, they were, they were expanded to me. I'm like, oh, this is a broader spectrum than, um, than obviously the small one. And I want that. I'm like, I know there's more out here and you all are reflecting that. And I want that. It sounds like this curiosity that you developed at a young age is maybe a cornerstone then for your interest in people and stories. And, uh, tell me more about, um, your, your intuition, where did, where did that come online from? Well, I think we're all born with intuition. Um, and, uh, you know, like a lot of people would say, when you're really young, you're like, you're still close to all that magic. And then it gets programmed out of you, um, by whatever rules are dictated to you as being correct and all that kind of stuff, or no, things are this way, you know, like depending on how your parents raised you. But I think we're all born with intuition, your gut, right? Like if we want to get away from, you know, calling it something woo-woo, it's like your gut, you know, everybody knows, like, follow your gut. Um, That's something I think we're all born with. Um, And I also, I, you know, I also believe people come into this world with a purpose, that kids are smart. You know, we've all met kids who are like old souls and you're like, what's that? You know, like, you know, I kind of believe souls repeat themselves too and come back and all that. I'm, I'm probably more woo than people imagine. Um, And so, because that explains to me, like a lot of the uniqueness that you can't explain, like, well, why are you okay with things? I'm like, well, my soul's in this place and I'm learning these lessons this time. And that's why I'm like this. I think we come in very individual more than we think. And then it's kind of how, how do you serve, not necessarily just survive, but how are you going to then end up post all kinds of programming, be it from parents, teachers, friends, um, siblings, whatever, you know, it's almost like you got to go through the storm and figure out, you know, who you're going to be when you get out of that. Um, but we all start, I think, with an original self. And part of my original self is to be very by nature, intuitive. And no one really in my family, it's not something I would ever talk about out loud. I, I, I know that I've always been that way by nature. Um, but nobody ever, um, sh- you know, said something to me or shamed me, you know, shamed it out of me. Um, maybe because I didn't talk about it. I probably didn't even know what that was. But I have always lived my life like intuitively you know, via synchronicities and all kinds of things. Do you have any rituals that that keep you connected to your source of knowledge and wisdom? Yeah, I I think in the last like seven years have really utilized meditation um, or what I also called holding silent space, uh, and that's a big thing that I teach within the coaching work that I do is, and you know, that work is to help you return to your authentic self or to meet that authentic self for the first time, even, you know, depending on someone's um, experience. And so I realize I really have to um, practice holding silence for myself in order to just even hear myself. And then once you can hear yourself, then it's, there's, there's other layers of like the ego and all, you know, judgment and human things we all do um, that are then influenced by like outside programming, you know, that cause like what's right or what's wrong, what's judgment, you know, 
we're, we're judging ourselves, we're judging other people. And it's not necessarily even on the extreme level of, oh, I judge you. It's more like, oh, I think I'm supposed to be this way and oh, I'm not doing it. So I must be, you know what I mean? That kind of self-talk or envy, you know, ego and envy. Like even if you're the nicest person, right? Like going, how do they have that? I want that, you know what I mean? Like little things like that. So I use silent space, not only to hear myself for intuition, I also use that space to let go and not be controlling within myself and also to let go of labels and not judge myself, not beat myself up and to work on my own foibles, you know, of ego or, you know, there's that great book, um, the four agreements. And, and I love that the, the guy Ruiz says like, if you can master one of these, that's a miracle. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just as a human. <laughs> and I just returned to that book actually. Um, cause those four agreements are powerful. You know what I mean? It's, you know, don't take it personally. Don't make assumptions, watch your words in terms of gossip and do a good job. That's right. I reference it often. Right. So I would say the one that comes up for me and would come up for anybody is don't make assumptions. Don't take it personally and don't make assumptions because you don't know. <laughs> one of the gifts of my authentic relating practice is that the second of the five principles is don't make any assumptions. Yes. And one of the ways in which we, we teach that is to simply notice what you're noticing Mm -hmm. And then go check it out. Yeah. Like go check it out. Like stay in that place of inquisition and inquiry. Uh -huh. Like, oh, hey, I noticed that I'm having this thought. And, and then you go to the source of that thought, whether it be someone else's actions, like if there's a situation between you and someone else mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm having this thought. And I'm just wondering um, if this is true. Right. Yes. And, and you, and you just ask out of a, out of a place of curiosity. And I find that when I do that from my heart, that whoever I'm, I'm speaking to meets me without defensiveness. Right. Yes. And isn't it, and it is better, isn't it? You'd yeah. rather know the truth. Yes. Than be left to your own devices and assumptions. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and it doesn't mean that the truth doesn't come with some new feelings like sure. oh, shit. I always say like, I would rather have the truth. Cause then at least I know how to navigate. It's like the boyfriend that breaks up with you or just stops calling and never tells you why. Right. Or says it's me, not you. And you know, that's a lie. And it's more maddening. Like you said, I'm just glad to know my intuition was correct. It's much more maddening. Like just tell me. I had an experience recently of admiring getting to know you, Carrie, mm -hmm. and the magic of your intuition. Oh, really? And I was absolutely floored when I scrolled through your Carrie Ockrey creative page on Facebook, mm -hmm. and I'm following along this journey that's communication between you and your fans about your magical mystery boxes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I saw that you put um, uh, a shout out. Is there anyone who would like to share some of my music CDs with other friends and fans? And as people sort of raised their hands and said, Oh, I would, Oh, I would. It looked to me as an outsider following along that you put together just dozens and dozens and dozens of <laughs> these custom boxes for the person. And mm -hmm. I'm looking at these photographs that are including shoes, boots, <laughs> and crystals, mm -hmm. and special home decor items, and <laughs> pillows, and stuffed animals, and candles, and books, and all of these treasures. Mm -hmm. And the feedback over and over yeah. and over again was holy crap, you absolutely knew what I'd love. So this is so funny because the whole thing is like, I wanted to declutter my house. So there's that. But I want, I like things to get passed on. 
Because I know what it feels like to get something you love, right? You're like, ooh, I love this, right? So I wanted, I wanted that kind of exchange. And then I also very intentionally like tried to be intuitive. Like I would look at that person's profile. I mean, these are people I, for the most part, don't really know at all. And I would look at their profile and then look at like, you know, maybe you saw the pictures like tables of stuff, just like, okay, who is she? You know? And I would look at the table and be like, and kind of not, I wouldn't think about it too long. I would just be sort of like this and this, you know, and pull things and this, and you're right. Like so many messages have come to me also directly going, whoa, like I literally was thinking about this kind of item and you sent it to me. So like in one of the wooden trays I had, I had these, uh, you know, pre walnuts, right when they're in that brown casing, um, I believe it's or maple. Um, you see them fall off trees sometimes and they just look like beautiful wood. Like I love them. They're like little art pieces to me, right? Like um, before they break out of the casing. Um, and I had picked up a bunch because they just look like beautiful woodwork to me. I picked up like eight or nine of them or whatever. And I was thinking to myself, who the hell am I going to give these to? <laughs> like, who am I giving this to? Like, because some of the items was like, what? Like, who's going to want that? And for some reason, I just thought, Diane. And what crossed my mind was uh, she's, she's connected to art and she would get a weird object. Like of all people, she would understand um, based on being an art lover too and shape and texture and all these things. She's someone who gets that. That's what went through my mind. So I bagged up all these things and oh my God, like my phone was going off. Everything, but I was like, oh my God, you gotta, you gotta call me. And I was like, okay. She's like, I can't, oh my God, I gotta talk to you about the magical mystery box. And I was like, okay. And she told me the story of like literally two days before she got the box, she was telling her sons like, oh, you remember those things that used to fall off trees and they're so cool looking and those trees you don't see very often anymore. And maybe I'll go online and try and find a picture of it for you. Like she literally was talking about those things, trying to find some. She goes, and then I open up the box and you have sent me a bag of them. This makes me shiver. And that shit just makes me excited. <laughs> like, I love that. So that's what I wanted. That's one of the major things I wanted out of this experience because I have a distinct memory of when I was eight. I think I was eight when I did this. I have this one memory of looking, looking into the mirror as a kid and saying two things. One, I want to will my eyes green. <laughs> two, I believe in magic, like the world, there should be magic in the world, like really believing in like witchy poo magic, like that's real. That's all. I have this weird memory of that. Uh, and my eyes are greener. <laughs> and, and I believe, I believe in magic. It makes, it makes it one, I think it's real. Um, and it makes the world much better. It's so much more fun. My guest last week was Amy McBride, and she has recently embraced her calling as a witch. Oh, yeah. And really looked into the origins of the language around what made a witch a witch. And her way of bringing magic into the world, her tagline is liberate magic. Yeah. And she talks about going on these witchy walks, not because she's trying to do some kind of performance art in the world. Mm -hmm. But because every other type of adventurous activity that she would do to move her body and be with people is all closed. You know, mm -hmm. if you go into a room and do yoga or do breath work or any kind of somatic practice. And for the past year, those things, those tools haven't been available for her. Mm -hmm. And so she she would go on these walks in Tacoma where she lives and look and find things like almost go on a yeah. treasure hunt. Yes. Treasure hunt. And, and look for rocks and leaves and, and colors and petals and, and create mandalas and just leave them in places and, yes. and, and dance in public and hug a tree. And <laughs> um, I, I loved the energy that I felt from her 
as she was describing this. Yeah. And it's, I have to say, Carrie, I'm getting that same vibe hearing you talk about your magical mystery boxes and the joy that it gave you. And I personally read the amplification of the joy that was received by your, by your fans, your friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me as much pleasure. So, I mean, I just, but I like the exchange. I also just think, come on, when in your life are you just giving something for free? We just need some free stuff right now. And we need some fun and mystery and a treat. That's what it is. I think everybody needs as many people I can get to a treat, need a treat. The world's just weird. And I think in a world that feels very, um, confined and we're not in control and depressing and scary and um little little excitement joys like that are are good medicine yeah my friend lisa gallo just started a clothing swap thread oh yeah and it's it's kind of blowing up it's like i've got these these great garments I'm not wearing anymore. Who, who wants to give them some love? And it's a little more personal than a buy nothing now group. Even uh-huh. though those are terrific. And I'm a big mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's even moving into, could we all get together on a patio outside and bring our bins? And many of us are starting to get vaccinations now mm-hmm. here in the Northwest where we seem to be, I don't, I don't know if we're in a lucky pocket, but it, it, it feels yeah. like the vaccinations are starting to move around yeah, and they're, they're starting to be more available if you put your mind and attention on it. Um, yeah, we'll and, get there. And the hope, the hope is rising yeah. that, that we aren't stuck. Uh, yeah, this isn't clear. forever. Yeah, this is not forever. I mean, but again, long game. Right. Like okay. I, I knew when it hit and I was working at the um, Gates Foundation and who, you know, kind of are at the a center of that. And right when it started, I, I and many people geared up for three years. I'm like, this this will go on. This is going to be two, two, three years. How did um, a talented musician like you find your way to be working at the Gates Foundation? <laughs> um. At some point, like at 38, you know, I wasn't doing music as much. Um, I, you know, I was sort of like petering out, you know what I mean? Like we'd been on labels, been dropped or whatever. And then the music industry itself started to change and I was hitting the level of burnout. So I started to work as a project manager, but the Gates Foundation, um, not because it was the Gates Foundation, but that was the job where I was like, I think I'm done with this. I'm, I'm pretty... I can, my gut says, you're just done doing corporate work. Um, You're going to have to figure it out. And that's where the coaching came in because I very purposefully, um, and and I, frankly, the stuff I teach came from my, what I chose to experience at that job. It could have been any job, but I happen to be at the Gates Foundation. Um, I went into that job with more personal goals in terms of my growth than I did like career goals. I don't really have any of those. I, I went into work going, I want to figure out how to be my authentic self in the workplace. And I don't even know what that looks like because I have kept creative carry and work carry very separate. And it has left me very depressed and lonely and off kilter, not feeling a hundred percent like, yeah, I really love this work. You know what I mean? Like it was never a hundred percent and, and it really met, put a skew in me because this, this is like, I spent formative years doing work that was mine, right? And then when you go work for somebody else, it's quite the different experience. So at the Gates Foundation, I very consciously was choosing to wake up and go, who are you? Can you please remember who you are? Wake up and then commit to that. Because I think that's going to be the best thing for you. You need to return to yourself. Um, and doing that within a workspace is very challenging. Uh, I mean, it's something you should do, right? But it will cause change. <laughs> you know, um, because 
you becoming an authentic individual will bump into everybody else who's around you or the corp, the culture or whatever. And if you choose to say your truth or actually, you know, there's two sides, you're responsible for you, right? So own that. It's not anybody else's responsibility, own yourself and then have the courage to say it like you see it. And then, yeah, you probably will have to leave. Not because somebody's booting you out, but because you don't fit there anymore. You're not that. It's really hard to admit to. I mean, I, I, it wasn't that easy to be like, that's a cushy job. You know what I mean? Like, oh, but my gut was screaming like, no, you're done. You're bored. You don't care about being anywhere in a workplace. You don't like, what are you going to do? So I just chose to like, wake up and I'm working at that now. And I'm not saying it's easy because I don't know what's next. You know what I mean? Like I will do the best I can. I will work at building a business. I will learn and share. That's why I reached out about like, you know, podcasts. Cause intuitively I was like, what's the next thing that feels authentic? And I was like, right now I just feel like talking about everything. I don't want to be out there pitching myself as a coach, you know, like, (laughs) you know, so I'm really, I think more than I have in a a few decades living by my gut. Like, I can't say that enough. Like I live by my gut and I'm choosing to do that. Um, And that can, that's a massive trust walk because the other way has structure. Oh, okay. I'll get on LinkedIn. I'll do my resume. I can go get the job. They pay me. I do the things, you know, that's a lot of structure. Now, oh, I feel a deep sense of purpose to help people return to their authentic selves and coach them or whatever. Um, Okay, (laughs) you know, well, how are you going to do all that? Like, what's that entail? How are you going to make money? Are people going to call you? I'm like these, there's so much that I'm not in control of. And I, my part of my practice in silence is to extremely make peace with that. And, you know, I've also done things like, how much money do you really need? pay off your debt. Like don't be in a place where you need a lot of money. Then you can do that walk a, a, bit, a bit freer. You know what I mean? Like there's other things that go into it, but I'm making those conscious choices and my gut, my gut feels great about it. Am I scared a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Yes. Well, and I have clients who no, again, because they feel a gut calling, like, you know, when you know, and my hat's off to them for choosing to step forward and go learn. I'd like, I think I need to do this. And, you know, and a lot of the times the initial work is for them to honor themselves again, find their opinion and then honor it. Even in the face of someone else handing you something else, you know what I mean? Saying like, oh, you're not right. Or, you know, or wow, I'm really starting to be myself and not functioning like I used to within like, say the workspace and people are starting to get kerfuffled about it. Like, well, no, you should be working 60 hours. What are you doing? You know, there's a lot of judgment out there, but I was like, keep walking in your truth. That's all. I mean, really, sometimes it's simple. I'm like, what is true for you? Do that. And yeah, you might, (laughs) one of my clients who's amazing, um, I was like, the problem for you is going to be, is that you're going to become, you're going to grow so much. I don't think you're going to be able to stay there unless you, you know, have a specific plan and, or, you know, you can compartmentalize or something like that. If you're going to follow your gut and dig in, right? Like the more awake you get, the harder it is to stay in the old place. It just is. Yeah. So true. That's why people don't choose it a lot of the time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Call me. <laughs> change is hard. Change is really hard. Ch- well, change is hard. And when I heard you sit there and talk about showing up at your job as your most authentic self, that that was the, that was the point of being mm-hmm. Carrie. Mm-hmm. I know you were talking about your professional situation and yet you were explaining how it felt to be me 
the day that I woke up and ended my 20 year marriage. Right. And it was just a simple misunderstanding slash argument about the angle of the blinds in the living room. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Like that, that was the mm -hmm. fight that ended my 20 year marriage. Like it, and yet we all know it's not about the blind. Right. 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 <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it, it's just about saying, there's got to be another way. Yeah. There's got to be another way where you're honored for who you are and I'm honored for who I am. And we don't seem to be doing a good job. Right. In that. And I, I think that's the same with work. If, if you can't be seen for your gifts and if, for me, what I've been looking for is this way to be useful for some reason mm -hmm. that word useful yeah. is just key. Oh Yeah. I want to do something that feels useful. Yeah. One, I think most people want to do a good job and they want to feel like they belong to something and that, that they're getting satisfaction out of, they're getting satisfaction, right? I do a good job. It's good for my family. This environment's great. I can be my, you know, like they, everybody wants that, right? But I, but I, I don't think a lot of people are experiencing that because other things play out in a workspace like fear, um, ego, competition, um, based in, I think a lot of problems are based in those small things, especially fear, right? And then it's really hard to get Shangri-La to workspace if consistent trust isn't possible. I mean, you could talk, you know, it's like when you go to your um, job and, you know, there's the quarterly meeting and they say all the great things and then you go yeah that's not playing out where I'm in my sector of the business like that's a great saying that's not happening where I'm that but that's not happening and don't you think that's exactly the same with the relationship your partner mm -hmm. can say I love you in words but mm -hmm. if they don't do things that demonstrate if you don't feel loved by them through their actions actions then those words are meaningless mm -hmm. and it erodes trust. I don't believe you anymore. Right. I just don't believe you anymore. Yeah. I, I think the parallels there mm -hmm. are very similar. Well, it's a relationship. People have, I mean, work is a relationship. You've got a relationship with your manager. That manager has a relationship with the director. You have a relationship with all your teammates. Again, a lot of different people with their own life experiences all coming to the table, not the easiest thing, right? And then if you have a culture that um, really nurtures fear, how are any of those people functioning, let alone like any of them finding trust? And then, you know, everyone's split apart. Yeah. It's like, well, there is no core trust here. Everyone's out for themselves, ultimately. I mean, we put a nice Northwest face on it. You know what I mean? Like, everything's great um, when it's really not. Um, and that happens in the best of places. Trust is a huge thing. And I will say, you know, when I, when I chose to, when I sort of chose and said to myself, like, I want to figure out, like, who, who I am at work. I mean, I, I said that, but I, I doesn't mean I was instantly great at everything. I always tell people, I'm like, you have to be able to walk like a baby again or learn how to walk again. And that's okay. Like, it's okay that you don't do it great, but you're trying and you're working at it. Um, you know, when I decided to do that, I, I still ran into situations where I had old fear and was afraid and I, it, it felt Herculean to like act different or do something, especially when you're in a, like a meeting with your boss and you're feeling like, Oh God, I didn't do a good job. And like all these old fears, which I think are all based on like, I'm going to get fired. Everyone's root fear. I'm going to get fired. Um, I would have to make myself go. If you, <laughs> I would do things like if you had $10 million, would this even matter to you? Would you, would you then just say how you feel? Yeah, because I'm not worried about getting fired. I have $10 million, right? And I could feel the difference when I would put myself in that. I'm like, do you see that? You need to do that without $10 million, you know? Say how you feel. You're not, you know, especially as, some, you know, anybody who's smart, I'm like diminishing yourself um, over and over again is really damaging, right? Like I'm a grown ass woman. I am smart. Like I have an opinion 
And the fact that I'm in this room and afraid to say it, that's not right, right? It's very damaging to me, but it's ultimately not right for any culture. So I remember like my experiences I would have that were kind of the learning lessons. And it felt like I was like, you know, like trying to learn how to walk. Like Franken's, I could feel it. It was hard. It wasn't, but I did it and it got better. Um, and I took risks, right? So you get in an argument with your manager and, and you're like, I see it this way and I'm open. I want to learn or whatever, but something seems wrong. That's a chance I take by saying that because you could get fired. But I went into the job going willing to be fired. I really did. I committed to that. Just one phrase, willing to be fired. I mean, not to go out and be a jerk, but I was like, I just need to literally know how to be myself, like on a very basic level, like talk. I said, people, if you met them there who knew me, I was like, I want to talk like how I talk. I'm, I talk very familiar. I'm extremely sick of professional speak. I mean, I'm funny and weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I might be goofy. That doesn't mean I'm not intelligent. You know, just challenging a lot of these things. The other thing I did there too, because for a long time, I, like I said, kept my music life and myself separate. But when I'm in Seattle, a lot of times the places I would work, they'd be like, hey, aren't you Carrie from the bands? And so they know me from here. And it would kind of like, but why are you here? Like now you're in a job. It's like seeing you in a different world. Some people would be like, what? And I used to be really embarrassed by that or I would diminish it and kind of just be like, mm, yeah, and walk off. But when I had this last job, when someone would say like, hey, are you Carrie from Hammerbox? I'd be like, yes. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, there was some sort oh, yeah. of like I was ashamed like, of myself I, or something. I am yeah. vast. I am multitudes. Yeah. I'm like shirking all of my amazingness, like all the time, you know, everybody has amazingness, but I'm like, man, I have been shirking like so much of the uniqueness and that is awesome. Like pick anyone in the room who's been signed to three different labels, toured the world, open for Oasis and Iggy Pop and Pearl Jam. Like anybody here done that? No. Holy crap. Why am I diminishing myself? <laughs> like, but I would for a decade, you know, like just to fit in, to do a good job, to assimilate. It was really damaging. I mean, I did that. You know what I mean? Sure, people could be jerks, but there was a lot of things I did too. So I just, again, just to show like it gotten to a point where I was like, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like I'm literally abandoning myself all the time in this place and I can't do it anymore. I can feel it. I will get ill. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but my gut is my gut. My intuition is saying like, you don't belong here anymore. You just don't. This is like a whole nother world. This has been worlds you've been visiting, which is very, not very different from my high school years, right? Very like, I, hence why I think I did well is like I'd been practicing that through school. I'm a watcher and I like to go visit other people's lives and then I'm out. And that's what I was literally doing. I felt like at work a lot. I met a lot of wonderful people, some of who are still my close friends, but I felt like a visitor probably in all of those experiences, very much like a visitor. Which can feel really lonely for me on the inside because you kind of always know you don't really belong there. You're kind of just visiting, you know, you can never quite make home because you're like, yeah, you're not really meant to be here. Why are you here? Because I want structure so bad. I want money. I want, you know, okay, well, you're going to have to pay a little bit for that. And I just can't pay anymore. And when I hear you say pay, you mean the emotional cost. Mm-hmm my self-esteem, my sense of self, my, um, courage, like courage. I, I, I can't even tell you how much my gut screams. Go be who you are, whatever that is. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm smart enough and responsible enough to know, like to take care of money and do things like that. It's not about, I mean, I think a lot of times people will block themselves from maybe, a an unusual path or having to make it up as you go. Um, but I luckily have a family that is super supportive and a husband who's very supportive. And cause he also knows too, I'm like, if we were dead broke and losing the house, I'd go get a job. Don't worry. I'll go work at Safeway. I don't even care. 
I don't have an ego about jobs. If we need money, there are definitely passageways to get some money. Um, Cause that's really the bottom line fear, right? Oh, we're broke, we're home, I don't know. I always tell people break down your worst fear, then break it down some more and then break it down some more. You know what I mean? Like, what is your worst fear? And then, oh, I'll have debt. And I'm like, mm. and what happens when you have debt? I lose my car. What if you don't have a car? Oh, well, then I can't get to my job. Well, what if you lose that? You know what I mean? Like, the, but because there's usually, th- there's solutions you don't even think about, right? Or there's things that you thought you cared about, then you realize, oh, I don't really care about that. Yeah, then, you know what I mean? Let it go. I wanted to ask, what are the, some of the common denominators that you find when you work with your clients to peel those layers of fear back? Um, number one is people don't value themselves. They, they don't have an inner knowing of how valuable they are and how their uniqueness is important. Um, and they don't know how to name it. And then they, and when they do, because people can figure that out. If you give them enough time and space, they'll be like, oh, how, what I really love and who I really am is this. Then asking them to honor that, like, or understand what it means to honor that, which means you got to love and respect and know that what you want's okay. And that it's actually imperative. It's really, again, long game. I'm like a good, healthy person who knows how to be authentic will do the thing they're meant to do, which will contribute to the world in a good way. That's a very long game. You know what I mean? But you ultimately, it's the road to happiness. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, every road has like, you know, like I said, nervous, you know, whatever, but I feel good. Like I might be nervous, but I feel correct in myself. Yeah. And that correctness, I want to say, comes from contentment. Mm-hmm. At least it does for me. And mm-hmm. when I spoke to Carrie Dwin, who's um, a hypnotherapist mm-hmm. in the episode, Reframe Your Brain, she talked about the damage that can happen to one's psyche, their mental health, when they're chasing the peak experiences of happiness. And they think that that is supposed to be the sustainable baseline for their life. Oh, right. And she talked about happiness being peak experiences and that what we're what we might be striving for if we wanted to shift our brain around it is a level of contentment that mm-hmm. we're going to be okay that we know we have some of our basic <clears throat> needs covered and from there we can find this ease and peace within ourselves mm-hmm. that feels less chaotic and less um dismantling Before we close, is there anything that you want to tell my listeners about your coaching practice? I do workshops and I work one-on-one with people and I really look for people who are ready, willing, and able, like who know, like they know, like they know that they want change. And I, I call myself the killer journey buddy, you know, like you need the person on your shoulder who's going, hell yeah, we can do that. Well, she's got my vote as a killer journey buddy. With her natural ability to take risks, be curious, and take a leap of faith to start a band in her 20s. I was floored that later in life, she thought she needed to hide from her fame. For what? So men in the boardroom wouldn't feel threatened by her badassery? This woman's open for rock legends. Who else in that business meeting could say that? I think it's worth repeating that she was giving herself messages in her lyrics. And that had me wonder what I'd find in my old journals. What have I already acknowledged to knowing that I haven't yet acted on? (laughs) Makes me curious. So we're going to close out today's episode by playing the title track from a 2002 album called Invitation. And the reason I chose it is because the lyrics are asking you, inviting you to step up and see how do you want to change your life? How do you want to make it better? 
Well, what I love about music too, is it's, you're often talking to yourself, like I'll write lyrics and I look at those lyrics and they're literally, you know, I sat by the sea waging war with my misery, you know, or destiny is in there. And the whole lyric is like, there's an invitation coming over me to live my life the way I want it to be. And I just look back and think, I love that that was in me. And I'm sad that I didn't heed my own call for 15 years. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you're talking to yourself, listen, (laughs) but I'm happy I wrote the song all the same. Waging war with my misery You came along and changed everything Now I can see life's pleasures waiting for me Without my heart, I will always regret it 